Well, hello everybody. Hey, Coach here. How's the crew doing this week? I sure do appreciate you taking a couple of minutes. Thanks for joining me. Hope things are positive, productive, and enjoyable in your world out there. Maestro and I are trying to move ever steadily towards a goal that we have coming up in the next couple of weeks, which we will be glad to share with you over on the channel. But hey, here on the podcast this week, we are discussing a very hard subject to talk about. <laughs> That's my lousy attempt at humor today. We're talking concrete or paver, block, and stone. Which is best for you? Which is best for the DIYer? Hey, glad you're here again. Let's get rolling, shall we? Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. So welcome back. Let's talk about it. Concrete, poured concrete, or paver, block, and stone. For me, in my past, it has been mostly concrete for flat surfaces. Flat surfaces like walkways and patios and driveways, etc. Flat surfaces. And I went to paver, block, and stone when it came to vertical surfaces, whether it be for small patio enclosure walls or retaining walls. And that was pretty much it. Why, you ask? Well, for me, the way I ran my business, especially in the last several years, when I had to downsize all manner of personnel, it was just me. So I had a choice. It was either delegation or relegation when it came to my contracting style. And I knew with a very fine tip pen where my strengths and weaknesses were when it came to being a professional. Now, in delegating, in delegating, the concrete portion of my company, I had a fantastic subcontractor, just an absolute wonder to be around, very meticulous when it came to grading and forming, and especially finishing capabilities. He was also extremely reliable. He answered the freaking phone when I called, and he was very punctual. When he said he was going to be there at 6 a.m. to pour, he was freaking there at 5.55. And he had the pumper truck there at 5.30, already setting up. It was the kind of relationship that you strive for in every small business and business relationship. And it worked out very well for us for several years. And I would say, in the contracting world, it's kind of a rarity, you know? Many times you don't have people that are reliable anymore. You know, if you can just get them to call you back, it was amazing. Well, for me, my friend and subcontractor, Antonio, was a blessing to me and my business. He really was. And his crew that he had. And he had kind of a rotating bunch, as you can probably imagine. But his brother was one. And then he had a half a dozen, depending on the size of the job, that he pulled from other places. Sadly, right towards the end of my contracting career, Antonio moved out of California. Yeah, <laughs> smart man. And he landed in Texas, I think in the San Antonio area. I think. Where, at last time I checked with his brother, he was still practicing to this day, as far as I know. So, hey, if you're in the San Antonio region, you might want to look up a guy by the name of Antonio. I don't know what his company is called. We totally lost touch the minute he left the state. So now, moving on. At Weed Patch Ranch, 
Antonio helped me quite a bit with all the forming and pouring that I did there. Probably the better part of 50 or 60 yards of concrete around the rental that we had, walkways, patios, everything. There was quite a bit of pouring and forming over that two-year period. One of the last ones was an RV pad that I used for the truck and camper. Most of the time, most of the time it was uh, colored, a, a buff colored concrete that I had mixed at the plant and delivered. But some of it was also just the standard gray. And always to be continuous and keep continuity, I had it with a very light horsehair broom finish and a troweled eight to 10 inch edge, a banding we called it. And it always really looked good. And everything that I did, I did it that fashion because it kept the price point, unless people specifically asked for a particular type of multicolor uh, with the, the coloring agent and the release agent and the stamping. Antonio did that. I can remember him doing one out in the Delta of Northern California for me. And it was literally a freaking fire engine red patio. Personally, I thought it was the ugliest freaking thing in the world. And I think Antonio did too. But these people, <laughs> can you guess what, uh, shall we say, career they were in? Yeah. So anyway, with somebody like that at your disposal, as a professional, it freed me up to focus on other parts of the project. And I kept it moving. I kept it moving with maybe digging post holes for fences or digging, digging holes for arbors that were going to go in the patio putting irrigation valves together, laying out lighting cable, whatever it took. Maybe Tony was framing up the front yard and I was working in the backyard or vice versa. So time was always the thing in contracting. Time was money. It was everything that you spent, every day that you were on the job site from planning to the first day of demolition to the last day of walking out, it all depend on time. The harder you worked, the more ability you had as a profit margin for the amount of time you put in. Nowadays, fast forward several years now, now I'm investigating the other option, paver stone and paver block. Why? Because I'm a much different area of the country and I'd like to try something different. Now, like I said at the top of the show, I am familiar with retaining walls and retaining patio enclosures. I've done several of those, but I've not been on a larger scale, the patio pavers and the patio walkways. And that's what I'm thinking about doing. Not only that, but I think the patio stones and pavers are much more DIYer friendly, at least for me. You know, when I was contracting, I became really familiar with the paver block. And I never had to, unless I was doing it at a time of year where rain was expected, I never felt under the gun. Never felt uh, that severe pressure of wet concrete coming out of the chute and you know you had a specific amount of time to work with it. The paver stones and the blocks, you knew that once your base was done, provided the heavens didn't open up tremendously, once the base was done, you could uh, pretty much take your time to a certain extent, especially that first course. Once the first course was in, then you could exhale. So let's take a few minutes. And let's look at the pros and cons of each. And maybe my explanation to you will help you decide which works better for you and maybe a project that you're considering. Let's talk about concrete first. Like the other alternative, 
paver stones and blocks, concrete work is also all in the grading and forming when it comes to the function and the finish of what the product you're going to produce. The correct grade and slope provides a nearly flat, smooth, and safe surface for which to navigate about your landscape. But never perfectly flat, right? It's never 100% flat. Drainage is always an issue with cement work. You don't want to pitch anything towards your house or towards your garage or towards something critical where a lot of water might be running off. So much like driveways and other things, you need to pitch it just that little bit. You know, so prepping the grade is very, very important. Your form placement and achieving that eighth of an inch every eight feet is critical. That will get water to move, and yet you walking around on it, you won't notice it very much, very, very little, if at all. I remember Tony, which I used to call Antonio, he would do four-foot walkways for me, and he'd always pitch it a half inch. And sometimes I thought, ah, you know, why don't we just, why don't we just do a little bit less? But he says, no, man, this is, this is what you need to do to make sure that water flows off of there. And if you think about it, that's an eighth of an inch per foot. So, you know, you'd pitch it a half inch. This is where DIYers oftentimes make a mistake. They don't take the little time and effort and being methodical about it. It is extremely important for cement work and also paver work. Some excavation might be called for, some uh, extra digging down where you need to put a base layer. And if you're up in the colds, you may even have to do a little bit of a base layer and then come in, put your base in, compact it down, and then put plastic over it. So you don't have that, that moisture down underneath that might heave from freezing up in the northern climes. Hmm, there's a clue. And all of this meticulousness, this leveling, string lines, etc., all leads up to the pouring. Now, pouring, it sounds like a menial task, but the hell it is. You can prep, grade perfectly, form it up like an expert, and pour as good as anybody. But if you don't know how to screed off, if you don't know how to finish concrete, Everything you do up to that day is for naught. Finishing under a time frame is a freaking art form. Take it from somebody who knows. I have been at the working end of trowels and bull floats. I have been at the backbreaking work of a screed board pulling and splashing and pulling and kicking and all the things that you have to do to get that stuff right. But in the very end, when everything has been screeded off, everything has been edged, maybe you've put a couple cut lines in for cold joints to be troweled in, whatever it might be, the finish is everything, absolutely everything. You could have the, the greatest grade, you could have the perfect color, but if you don't have a nice finish to it, it's going to look like And people will notice, even a layman will notice a good well done, finished concrete job. I got some family members who have claimed over the years to be the be all and end all of concrete work. They are. And remember, I was very accustomed to Tony's work, which by comparison, in my humble opinion, 
everybody else kind of paled. There were some other great finishers in the area that I worked in. They really were. I just got very attached to the, the finish work that Tony did. Then I went to Idaho, where my family members live, and I got some help finishing off a family member's yard with a walkway and a patio. And the difference in the quality of finish was night and day. You know, when I, when I heard, oh yeah, we're done. I looked at it and I just went, wow, bouquet. Can't see it from my house. And it was much, much different. So that finishing is uh, everything. And I strongly suggest that if you decide to go down the concrete route, that you really practice small, practice with uh, some big stepping stones or a shed pad apron or anything, a dog pad outside, anything that's small that you can practice your craft a few, a few projects ahead of time. And then when you decide to go big, to do those walkways or that patio or whatever you plan on doing, maybe a garage apron or an extension, that you have your skills honed enough that when you're done, things look good. Now, one thing about finishing, now if you're talking about a simple finish, a simple broom finish, Antonio always used to use a horsehair brush. He did not use a, a brush from a box store or anything else. It's a specialty broom that he got from specialty concrete suppliers and it gave the broom finish a nice texture a a significant texture for grip and no slips i, mean, I don't know and that, that's what i ran into with family members is their broomed finish was oh geez it was just it was really rough it, it really was so anyway the other thing is is time is not on your side in some cases with poured cement you know that you have a limited amount of time before things get hard to work with, no pun intended. For me, I always spent and built into the cost of the job a pumper truck. And we had the same pumper guy on every single job. And he was just as reliable as Antonio. And he would always be there a half hour before the truck was scheduled. And he'd get there, and I mean, oh, dark 30 with me, and we were setting up the, the hoses and, and cleaning out the tube and making sure everything was ready to go because there's a certain thing called standby time with some cement companies that you want to try to avoid. I mean, it can be as much as, I don't know, $2 a minute past the, the 45 minutes or whatever it is. Each company is a little different. Now, for me, total transparency coach here, let's talk about transparency for just a minute. Concrete and I, cement and I, are, let's say, cordial friends to each other. We are not BFFs in any way, shape, or form. I can grade, I can form, and I can pour with kind of the best of them. Although I'm getting up in age now, and I really would not want to do it as a, as a business any longer when it comes to that part of landscaping. But on a large scale, I call my finishing skills a good amateur at best. You want me to edge? I can edge. You want me to do a hot tub pad, a shed pad, a, a dog pad for doggo out on the side yard? I'm your guy. A large driveway, a large patio or garage? Nope. Nope. You would not, you would not call me. I just know my limitations. Just never had the desire to be really good at it like Antonio wanted to be. 
And he was, a, he was an expert, a perfectionist. For me, it was always more, I'll get your soils right, the plants right, the look right, the irrigation right, the lighting right, the arbors right. I could do all that for you. But when it came to having a great reputation about cement work, I turned to my friend. I really did. And that I would suggest to you as well. That concrete finishing, especially if you start doing colored or stamped with powders and release agents and all that other stuff, man, I'll tell you what, it takes a team. It really does. It takes a team to do it right. And I didn't have a team. My team was me, maestro, once, once in a great while. You know, she had her own career. And for me, it was always <laughs> just pay the money and turn to the experts. It really was. So for you guys, start small, scale up, build your skills, take it on, plain and simple. It is a much more instantaneous thing than our other option we're going to talk about. You know, concrete can be mixed and made at home the old-fashioned way. That's what my pops did for years. He poured lots and lots. He poured, a, he poured a whole pool surround and everything using piles of sand and aggregate and cement and water. And at a certain ratio, hey, it turned out okay. It wasn't Antonio's work, but it wasn't half bad. It really wasn't. You know, it wasn't the kind of broom finish that you'd want to fall down on with nothing more than a swimsuit on. But nonetheless, it was always pretty level and pretty well done. Now a con about concrete or cement. It's that time factor. You are always under the gun from the time the truck arrives until the final trowel stroke is done. I remember doing a uh, driveway edging at Weed Patch Ranch. Maestro and I did it ourselves. It was not a big pour. It was about a yard and a half, 12 inch edging, driveway edging with a rebar, one rebar inset. Probably should have had two, but I only did one because that's all I had. But I had to make a run back. I emptied the first trailer. I deliberately asked them to make the, the water content just a little bit more in that first one, because I knew once that came out and I kind of did a rough on it and I knew I was gonna have to run back 20 plus miles to get another half yard, I had it out, done. And by the time we got back and I got the second load out of the trailer, it was called a, a U-Haul type of trailer, you know, where they, they mixed it up at the plant for me, but then you trailer it and then pour it off. Pretty, pretty slick, but oh my God, it almost got away from us. It was 90 degrees outside. Despite having that extra water, I still had to, I was literally pouring and running, pouring and running, pouring and running. I added a little bit more water to the second load and whew, man, at the end, it turned out okay. I would never have asked money for it, but it was in the location of the ranch where it wasn't super, you know, you couldn't see it, you know, really easy. And it, it turned out all right. But by the time I was finishing off the last, I was pounding that concrete in order to get moisture up into it enough to finish it. It was, yeah, it was a little pucker factor there for about a half hour. So when you're talking about your concrete stuff, tools that come along with that, that you kind of need to have on hand, beg, borrow, or steal. Stakes, nails and screws, forms, uh, levels, string lines, string levels, uh, trowels, floats, edgers, and of course, the cement. And you can mix the cement yourself. You can do the U-Haul, U-Cart type of cement, or you can order up a truck. The strengths of cement come in a couple different forms. If you hire something like this out, always ask the contractor that's going to be doing it for you, 
what kind of sack mix are you using? If you hear the word four, oh, four sack mix will be fine. Yeah, you, you don't want to hire that person. That's for the cheapos. That's for the, the guys that are charging you a pretty penny, but only getting a uh, plug nickel worth of material. Always insist at a minimum of a five sack mix. It's kind of the in industrial norm, is kind of the average. For me, when I, was, when I was doing this stuff, I would always have Tony order or I would order a six sack mix. It was really, really rich and creamy and easy to work with and it gave a nice finish at the end. You could trowel it and you wouldn't hear that grating screech of the trowel going across the, the aggregates and stuff because there was so much cream to the top of it. It costs more. It really does. Four sack mix and six sack mix can be as much as just guessing because I haven't seen it in a while, but I would say $60 a yard difference. There's also a uh, measurement called slump. And slump is basically the amount of water in the mix at the time of pouring when it comes out of the truck. And oftentimes the truck driver will ask you where you want your slump at. And don't quote me on this. I believe I'm right when I say it. But a 4.5 or a 4 slump would be a very stiff or rigid type of slump, as opposed to something like a 6 slump would be kind of really slurry-like. And if you got above 6, you'd be having a lot of water in the mix. So I remember Tony always asking for 5, maybe 5.5, depending on the weather outside. And weather plays a big part in it. If you have really hot weather, you're going to want to have a little bit of retardant in it. Uh, not a lot, but a little bit. And if you are in the colds and it's a cold day outside, you're going to want a little bit of uh, calcium in it to kind of accelerate, accelerate the setting up process. Otherwise, you'll be troweling there until pouring at 8 a.m. and you're still troweling it at 8 p.m. We don't want that. Okay, so there you are about cement or concrete. A lot of times DIYers will hire this out, and I do not blame them a lot. But if you have some skill set in your, in your circle of influence, man, it's nothing like uh, getting a buddy over and saying, I know you know what you know, and here's lunch and dinner, and help me out. Or you can pay the pros, and it does not come cheap, especially if you have to take stuff out before you put stuff back in. All right, let's move on to paver blocks and paver stones. Like I said earlier, I was mainly involved in vertical application when it came to this stuff. Patio enclosures and retaining walls. I did several of those over the years. Like cement, if not in some cases even more, preparation is the key here. Whether you are doing walls, retainers, or patios and walkways, pavers require a perfection in the preparation and placement always. I do not have to repeat that statement, do I? Because it is the everything. No excuses or good enoughs here. You literally have to hit the 10 ring. You really do. Because if you do not, if you only hit the 8 ring and you're an inch out here or a half inch off there, as you start building your first course, you are going to either be pounding the crap out of it to get everything level, or at the end, you're gonna see a wave, either in your patio or in your wall or whatever you're creating. 
Everything has to be to the nines when it comes to that. Once you have that done and your first course in, and we're talking vertical stuff only right now, you'll be, you'll be home free, practically home free. So let's avoid the, the waves and stuff when it comes to patios and walkways, and let's avoid those wavy, crooked other things when it comes to patio enclosures and retaining walls. Do it right. Do it slow, be meticulous, and be thorough, and things will turn out right. The thing about this, the great thing about this product is usually time is on your side instead of against you like it is in the poured cement. You can work on your base layer one weekend, and if rain is expected, you cover this area up. And then the next weekend, you can finish your base layer, maybe bring in your screed poles and other things that I'll talk about here in a second. Put in your bedding, your bedding layer, and if you only have that much time, you can cover it back up again. So you can see where this kind of stuff might really help a DIYer out, give you a little more latitude as far as time frame. So time is usually on your side. But the backlash is these projects take a little, or in some cases, a lot more time to complete. Grading, forming, and pouring of a cement product might be two weekends for a DIYer. You do one one weekend and you pour the next weekend. This thing here, you have excavation, you have grading, you have base, you have uh, base lifts and compaction. Then you have screed lines, screed boards, and it can get protracted. Then, once you're laying stuff in, you might have some splitting, some cutting, some fitting, etc. Then banding and edging and other stuff. There's a few more steps involved, but time can be on your side. And like I said, the enemy might be nothing more than weather. If you are prone to regular storms and the chance of ponding because you did some excavation out there and you weren't able to get your base layer in or anything and now you're having to contend with ponding and puddling and ugh, you got to pump it out and do it's all ugh, crap don't don't be afraid of it just be aware of it and plan accordingly if you have a particular time of year where you know things dry out for you know the basis let's say september is a dry month for you before fall and winter rains and snows come in Plan around the project then. Don't plan around April when you know it's going to be raining near every day. That's not the time to do it. Where I worked, the dry season was pretty darn reliable. Now, in Northern California, in that Central Valley, you kind of were 95% assured that mid-May, maybe Memorial Day, because I can remember a couple little late spring storms coming through, but for the most part, Memorial Day all the way into the 1st of October was usually 95% dry. And everybody who was anybody in the contracting world, especially the landscape contracting world, was on it. Yet you had all your jobs booked. And if there was flat work to be done, which in the business, all of this that we're talking about today is called flat work, you got on it. And you were pretty self-assured that you were never going to get uh, rained out. Now, some places, Southern California, Arizona, Southern Nevada, Colorado, the Four Corners region, you guys have that monsoonal summer moistures that start in around July and can go all the way to October. You know, the deep south, the east, you guys have storms sometimes every freaking day. And then you got hurricane season and tropical depressions and all that other crap that you have to deal with. So timing really becomes very, very critical. So 
How do you avoid it? How, do you, how are you able to sleep at night if you decide to do one of these kinds of projects? Just plan. Plan it out. When, when you know that you're going to have a, re, a reliable dry week, that's the week you get out there and do your excavation. You dig down four to six inches, you know, and get your base in, compact it down in two-inch lifts, and get it all done. Maybe that's going to be your first weekend. And then cover it up. Cover it up and tip it a little bit towards one corner so if you do get some water, you know, you can pump it off the tarp and then pick it up and get rid of it and things stay relatively dry. So let's talk about that base. When, when we're talking paver stone application, no matter it's vertical or flat, the base is everything. It is everything in this application. A compacted base layer of three to six inches is usually kind of the industry standard. A little deeper. A little deeper if your walls are going to be taller, your walls or your retainers, then you're talking, you know, six to eight inches. If you're doing driveways, driveway areas where you have vehicular traffic, then eight to 12 inches probably. And like I said briefly, the lifts, that's a, a layer of gravel, uh, generally two to three inches at a time. Then you run a mechanical compactor over it, then you do another two to three inches compact another two to th so each one of those layers is lift then once done check your grade check your slope do it with a string line or if you're good with a laser level you can do it with that all this prep all this prep leads up to installation that first and you're dealing with walls or retaining walls that first course is going to be everything and I've talked about that. I talk about it in my book. I talk about it in the course. And there is nine bazillion YouTube channels that'll show you exactly how to do it. But now you've got your base in. The next step before installation of the pavers themselves is going to be your bedding layer. And your bedding layer is generally established using screed pipes. Those can be metal pipes or they can be plastic pipes. And they are generally placed on top of your, your base layer. They are tapped into place gently with a rubber mallet or something to establish your slope. And then you come in and you bury that pipe in line with the pipe with a chipstone or a mason sand and get it set in place. And then you screed off right to the pipe, the excess, and then fill in everywhere else around that to that pipe level. And that's called your bedding layer. And this is what you're going to be placing. This is what you're going to be placing your new pavers on, your, your flat work pavers on, your walkways, your patios, your driveways, etc. The bedding layer of sand or fine chip rock, pretty easy to find that stuff. And when you buy it, ask, hey, is this, is this okay for this application? And they'll tell you, oh, I would probably use this instead and point you to another product. Now you're ready. You should be ready. Maybe a minor little misting of the product so you don't have dry dry bedding layer it's a little bit moist and you start at one edge or one corner and you start gently placing your pavers on top of this bedding layer and you work into the main field of whatever you're doing walk on the pavers don't walk on the bedding layer ever ever you have pulled those pipes now and you have troweled in the little trough that that pipe left. You just put a little bit more material in there and you just trowel it smooth. And now you're putting in your field. And you're going to put in your field to all areas 
of the area that is affected except the edges. That's where your cut work is going to be done. You can lightly tap some things if they're not perfectly level, but for the most part, if you screeded it off correctly, very little tapping should be needed. So you complete the main field and then do your cut pieces, your edges. Take your time. Cover the area. If you don't get it done in a day and rain is imminent, I would really suggest you cover it. And then keep doggos and kids away from the area as well. I really strongly urge that. That way that bedding layer is not messed up. Now your finish cuts can be manual or machine. I used to like doing uh, machine. I, I'd rent a block cutter. And I'm not talking about a block like uh, a retaining wall block. I'm talking about a paver block type size. And it made it very easy. Or a capstone if you were doing a small patio enclosure wall and you're doing the caps, a block stone. If you're doing a retaining wall block, oftentimes you're using a stone chisel. You're marking it where it needs to go and then you're scoring it all the way around and giving it a couple of good hard wax at the end and it should split rather easily. Or you can use a concrete cutoff saw if you want to do it that way. Now, once you're all in with this stuff, it's all laid out, now you're going to end up banding it. You're going to band it so things stay in place with either a metal edging, which is staked down. It's kind of an L-shaped product and it's kind of staked. Or you can do what they call a concrete shoulder. And you can hand place and form a little concrete band all the way around your work. And that's how things stay in place. Then, once that is done, your final step is sanding it. And in this day and age, modern day, most everybody uses polymeric sand. And polymeric sand is something that you spread out across the whole area. You broom it into the cracks and crevices. You broom it in very, very well because there is kind of a adhesive component to this that you don't want on the tops of your patio. Broom it all the way in and then come in and lightly blow off the excess and then you moisten the whole thing down and it will harden. It'll harden very, very nicely, keep everything firm, and now your work will last for many, many, many years. So for the DIYer, this paving method can take days, weeks, or even months. And that's a good thing for DIYers. If you can, cover the project when you know no progress is there and you can still make it perfect. It is a bit more laborious, as you can tell, than the cement but allows for time to be on your side rather than the other way around. But like cement projects, pavers can be partitioned off and started up again. Um, you can put in a board there uh, and finish up to that board, whether you're pouring cement or whether you're pouring or uh, putting in a paver stone, either way, and you come back and start it up again. I can remember my pops doing a whole driveway out front and he had a contact in the cement world and they would, bring up excess pours. Cement guy would call him and say, hey, I got two yards extra. Do you need some? Yep. And he would get out there and dad would put down a two by four across the driveway area and stake it off. And then the concrete guy would back in over what was already poured. He'd pour off the extra two yards, collect a little cash on the side and be gone. Dad would finish off in, in two yard increments. Would I want the finished look of our driveway that I grew up with? I don't know. I don't know. But still, didn't cost him very much. And at the time, you know, money was tight. So tools for paver stone projects generally surround maybe a pick occasionally if you have to excavate some stuff out of the way. You can rent machinery to excavate. Shovels, 
uh, rakes, levels, a transport tool of some kind, like a wheelbarrow, stone chisel, block saw that you can rent or a power cutoff saw, broom, screed pipe. It can either be metal or it can be PVC. As long as it's straight, that's the main thing, straight. Metal edging for staking things in place or bagged concrete. Uh, string, string lines, string levels, and stakes, nails, that kind of stuff. You know something? I really hope this gives you uh, some insight and knowledge about these two paving options. Uh, don't let the details scare you. Details are in everything we do. They really are. And so I think if you just start out small and scale up your skill set and your learnedness, then by the time you're getting to something of size, you have learned how to pour, you learned how to finish, you've learned how to form, you've learned how to do base layers, etc. You can do it. Now, in the near future, you're in the future, I hope to be able to show you something like that. And it's a little secret that Maestro and I have. But in leaving you today, I would like to ask this question. I would enjoy hearing from you about what do you have and which would you prefer if you were doing it again? You know, maybe you have an existing walkway that you'd really like to redo. So would you do it with the paver stones or would you do it with poured concrete? And tell me why. And if you would like to brush up on these skills and many other landscape skills and knowledge, I would invite you to check out my website, youryardcoach.com. You'll see the digital book and the digital course. And we also have a cheapy 15-step DIY checklist for landscaping projects and a free giveaway over there. Please, by all means, check it out. And that is what I have for you today. I hope you join me over on the YouTube channel and see what it is in video form. And if you have any questions, I'm only an email away. Youryardcoach at gmail.com. Guys, I'll see you. As always, to your landscape success. Till next Friday. Bye for now. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Again, thanks for listening to this week's show and we'll see you right here next week.